Welcome. 2019, first episode, Delve Further, with my good friend. I'd say, yeah, I'd say one of my better friends in, in Overwatch and, and in esports in general and in life. Uh, Yiska, Sasha Heinisch. I think you always have to, like, put the emphasis and, and try to be German when you say, am I, am I is that right, Heinisch? Am I saying yeah, it right? That's, yeah, it's correct, yeah. Now we were I mean, go ahead, go ahead. You're saying emphasis. You put emphasis on every single syllable there. So. <laughs> Sasha, Heinisch. Like, come on, dude. Okay. Now we were watching a a certain Warcraft three pro gamers or former pro gamer, I guess you know. And he was talking about, and this is grubby for those who you know don't get the inside joke. Um, he was talking about how his last name meant like it was kind of like rare and like only like his family has that last name and like it doesn't necessarily like it's shared and how his like name meant something in I think it was German. Does your name kind of translate into, you know, anything interesting? I think you mentioned that like Kick Tripod's last name was like Man of the Woods. Yeah. So something like this. Well, for, for my last name, it's sort of weird because mm. I think on the surface, if you give that to a German person, they would, they probably wouldn't find out anything. I think what might have happened is that if you put an R in front of my name, mm. then it suddenly makes sense because it becomes Rheinisch. And in that can sense, it's like the adjective to Rhine, the, the big, uh, uh, not like uh, river mm. that's that's throwing uh through my city here but at the same time i think my family from that part of the family comes from more like towards poland so that okay. wouldn't even make sense but maybe there was a little <laughs> bounce around like eastern sure. europe back and you know stuff like that but yeah generally on the surface it doesn't translate to anything so hmm. people know you most for being, I'd say, one of the kind of leading fig leading thinkers not tied to an Overwatch team, right? You're, you're out there creating original content, coming up with concepts, uh, pushing ideas forward, you know, uh, opinionated to some degree. And I don't peep, I don't think people realize that you actually have like a pretty extensive history in esports pre like the golden age, right? So like pre like 2011, um, 2012, like in the, that big explosion to kind of that's carried us to where we are now. So a lot of people don't realize that you kind of like first started in like Warcraft three. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Like back in the day, I basically, um, I was, 16 or something we were just done with playing cs and everything mm -hmm. and basically what we um what we wanted to do was uh like play in clan leagues with um with other folk just from my local area and then we played some rather high up leagues we didn't play the biggest league which is so sort of like the champions league with actually sponsored teams we were like semi uh, semi-sponsored had like a little bit of hardware deals here and there we also bounced around did our own thing created our own clan and there we had some interesting people in that clan and um if you're interested in that story yeah that for was... sure okay so tangents dude any any <clears throat> and all all right so 
my friends and I are in a have our own clan and we're playing in the highest amateur league, so to speak. And mm. uh, we're getting like scouted and whatever. And a friend of mine and I leave for a longer vacation, like three weeks, like our first like own vacation. We were, I think, 16 or something. And we always snuck into the internet cafe to check out what our clan was doing on the Battle.net client and mm. also in the league because we were one of the key players so we wouldn't know how they would do and we wanted to see the results so and our other friend who was always that, that guy was insane right not only was he very good at the game but he also had a way to talking people into doing stuff with him so okay we we check out the internet you know, uh, the, our clan profile on the internet cafe and mm -hmm. someone joins and his name is death kosh one and we check him out and he's first on the just normal ranked letter in Europe. Sure. And we we look over in an A and he's also first in an A on both uh, West and East Coast. And we're like, how, how did this guy get him into the clan? And he's playing Clan Wars for us mm. at this time. Mm -hmm. So two days before we come back, we're like, wow, we're coming back and we have this great talent and whatever. Maybe we get some sponsors and whatever. And... We come back, and I get get home, uh, drive up the PC and look, and Deathcosh one is gone, and he didn't play in the clan where it just finished because we were getting back, we couldn't delay there. Right. So <laughs> we talked to our friend. And he's like, "Yeah, he was very drunk, and um, turned out like he was very rude to me. I kicked him." And we're like, "Well, that that is that that was a, an amazing player." And to be fair, at the time, it turned out he was map hacking. Ah. The thing is, what we didn't know at the time, of course, was that he became SK Deadman, one of the more well-known European players. At the time, for for a long while, actually a, an arc rival to Grubby, I think him and Moon were mm -hmm. the only ones that ever took a best of five from oh, Grubby for a very long wow. time in their career. SK Deadman was legitimately an amazing player, and he just randomly strolled into our clan, but was kicked <laughs> because he was rude to this guy. So, yeah, that was insane. Well, there you go, a little little Warcraft three history. Now, now you know tying back into that that intro. You know, we were watching Grubby the other day, and you had mentioned like offhandedly that you know in those team leagues because I think and correct me if I'm wrong, you said that you had uh, practiced quite a bit in in like the two v two league primarily, right? Yeah. Now you've you've had like some some matches against Grubby, correct? Am I wrong in saying that? Yeah, we we had some. So okay, yes, of course, always you have ladder matches. Sure, and you of meet course. Them very often there, and then you have we had in-game tournament clients, mm -hmm. and there we also met them in the finals if they were you know they were often on tournaments and whatever, and these right. in-game tournaments, especially the two v twos, weren't that interesting to them, though we did often face in the finals some some pro player team that were preparing for i think it was w3cl it was called and they still had 2v2 so these teams still needed to practice and the tournaments were the best part because it would ramp up the ranking very quickly and you would get good matches in these tournaments so mm -hmm. they were, would practice there and then we had i think two clan war matches i think we went 1-1 ultimately of course a player like grubby didn't care that much about 2v2s and most of the time the meta was sort of strange when we played it was still dedicated 2v2 teams dominating mm. that 
bracket. Sure. Later on, it was just like you put the two best one v one players into a team, and that's the best two v two team in the world. You know. Mm. So that meta sort of turned there. Now, because Warcraft Three is you know possibly could see a resurgence in, in popularity and, and you know for a while it's been slowly building back up uh, a following for the most part and we're seeing china put forth a good amount of money for warcraft 3 with reforged um i i kind of want to get into a little bit of the history so i'm going to spit a couple names at you that just come to my mind because i'm a very uh layman when it comes to warcraft 3 but it's always been something that has been kind of tied into like some of the esports that i followed like starcraft you always saw like a little bit of crossover like you saw moon i think lynn actually participated a long time uh a long time ago like early early gsls for like we made fox which again if i remember correctly was a big clan um so I, like just from those names like could you contextualize like really who grubby was from somebody who knew warcraft 3 like could you really wrap him up in a bow and present him to the audience like who really is grubby why do why should people care about grubby first off well basically if you if you go down he even started being pretty good before the expansion mm. uh, came out the frozen throne so he was already a name then even though I didn't perceive esports as such at that time. Sure. And then later on, when we got TFT and got a little bit more serious, mm. yeah, like, okay, so the, the experience of watching Warcraft 3 esports was very different than it is now. <laughs> but it is due to the ingenuity of a select few, it was actually a pretty good experience for the time. So this must have been. Okay, so 2003, four, something like this. Sure. And some dudes um, made Walk TV. And Walk TV was basically like a, a streamed replay that through some LAN shenanigans could be streamed to the internet. And then we had Winamp Radio, and you can sync up both of these sources. Winamp Radio, and you could, holy. Yeah, and you, you could enjoy almost something akin to a stream experience, of course, mm -hmm. not seeing the cast or whatever. That came much later, but um, yeah, and there, like basically every weekend, especially a friend of mine was the Orc player, the, the crazy guy. Um, <laughs> he loved watching him. Of course, we also, like sure. back then, we really, I mean, he was sort of like one of those names that was always up there with the Koreans and also mm. crucially the Chinese. Um, as I said earlier, like there was a time where the, the crazy part about Grubby is you might beat him in the three, uh, best of three. That is possible, right? Mm -hmm. He was beatable there. His ability to adapt was absolutely insane. He would go down and get so many reverse sweeps or like go down 2-1 or something like this, but he would figure out his opponent over the series. And that was why it's, it was very hard to beat him in the best of five. I think up to a point uh, when I stopped following his career, he only ever lost to SK Deadman and then Moon, right. uh, who was the fifth race. So as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> Robbie pretty much is one of the two best players of uh, Warcraft history of time, yeah. to get together with the fifth race. That's the nickname of uh, Moon. Moon. Right. Now, I, I definitely have to ask about Moon because that's somebody that I, you know, kind of understood the mystique around when he started playing in starcraft 2 for his short stint but 
you know, just hearing about it creates a Google search. And from there you go down the black hole of seeing, you know, the, the, the legend that he kind of put forward. But I want to, I want to throw a curveball. I don't know if you're necessarily expecting this one. Did you, and, and feel free to, to back out if you're not necessarily too familiar with them. Um, we know now Monte Cristo, but mm-hmm. previously he did a lot of work in Warcraft 3. Is there anything, did you ever interact with him back in the day? Sadly not. No? Uh, I think we were sort of disconnected from the NA scene. Okay. Mainly because, also... Another personality that comes from that era is, of course, Freak mm-hmm. from Riot Games. Um, yeah, that was sort of the NA scene. And let's be honest, Europe and the Asian countries were just like competing a against each other. I, I would say, like, Europe, it, that was actually a very competitive era when I watched. I think okay. both Europe, China, and Korea were about the same like level and mm-hmm. then we had two shining stars on two of those continents and of course later on china developed themselves superstars so mm-hmm. in that regard it's um, um it's amazing but yeah like na they had ever like maybe two or three players that are really like recognized but yeah they, they weren't that good and because of time zone differences sure. and whatever and I'm not sure if Walk TV would have even worked there, but yeah, I was more following like the local. <laughs> the stuff. European scene. Fair enough. Fair enough. So then the next player, one of the, I'd say, you know, one of one of the best now, and you can correct me if I'm wrong if I'm speaking, you know, out of school. Best human player, got to got to look at Tot, right? Ever ever kind of come into contact? Ever with? ever? I'm not sure. Okay, fair but enough. He's very he. Okay, so they were. There was a clan that was initially created by a guy called Tillerman. And mm. the mystique about this guy was he came from Warcraft 2 and was one of the best play- or was the best player in the world, as as I understood it back then. Sure. Not sure if that's true. Um and he also played in the beginning of Warcraft 3, he played some tournaments, won some, but he was an older guy, so like he took a step back and then created a- an almost legendary organization that sadly doesn't exist anymore but it was four kings mm. the uh, british based organization and in that there was um grubby and there were to- there was todd and these guys had a while where it was back and forth back and forth between them right of course uh playing different races mm-hmm. and there were cool things that for instance i'm not sure if grubby did it specifically against todd but i remember a tournament where he would practice <laughs> Grubby, that is, exclusively, uh, or not exclusively, but as an offhand thing to beat human, he would practice undead. Mm. And nobody knew that was happening. And suddenly he pulls it out, and I'm not sure if it was against Todd. It might have been. Yeah, I think it was. And beats him in that way in that tournament, right? And the thing is, I think, in general, it was perceived that at the time, human had an... uh, an advantage against um, sure. orc and human was predominant because undeads generally didn't get that deep into the bracket because yes they were good against human but not that good against the rest is how I remember it mm-hmm. so if you could off race that was of course amazing but the amount of effort that was required right. like very few players actually played random um, or like two races at the time mm-hmm. now Ruby was I think one of the only 
uh, good ones that I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, and again, my, my names are kind of cherry-picked from the few that I've either heard of or done, like, some minor research on, you know, or had come across. So, again, they might be a little bit, again, towards the layman, you know, some of the big names that you'd see, So, and they're not, you know, some of the, the more interesting uh, T2 players, we'll call them, right? Um, but the next kind of name that comes to my mind, again, a human player, Sky. Could you kind of encapsulate who Sky was? What did he kind of do for the scene? Ooh, that's now. Now we're getting into foggy. Okay, uh, fair enough. I think, uh, I think, for a while he was legitimately the best player in the world. Even sure. though, like, it was that is actually not a lot of people know this, but mm-hmm. World of War, uh, sorry, Warcraft was insane in China. Mm. So. Grubby would go to these events and so many people would show up and they would right. have bodyguards escort him like out of the city because it was insane. This like that's that's where the whole fascination with Dota in China comes from basically because so many people played Warcraft 3 there. Dota was at the time right. a custom map for uh Warcraft, so that that went like this, right? But yeah, the the fascination with that was insane and Keep in mind that is 2003, 2004, whatever that uh, around that time that we already had these crowds in China. And uh, as far as Sky goes, I remember, I think I watched like a documentary mm. on him, um, where yeah, it is a struggle because it obviously wasn't that accepted uh, by by the older generation in China. Right. But like as it is with parents, as soon as you bring the first check home, <laughs> that works. Um, and yeah, in general, I think that there were just, I remember there were some, especially the W3CL, that which were like clan wars more like mm-hmm. between teams. That was always very high between these teams, even though there were, of course, like some, um, ping issues, but then also, uh, offline tournaments were pretty exciting at the time. And I remember that Sky really, like that might've been like, like if you met, if he met Grubby in the bracket, I think that was a streak where he was just farming him, pretty much. Hmm. Well, I mean, I mean, again, that's that's a, a legend that some people might not have heard of, defeating someone that people are very familiar with. You know, that's something mm-hmm. that, again, esports history, something that I think we both enjoy quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, again, another name, Kamenacha. I said I'd mention him, Moon. You know, this is the fifth race. Very, very famous Night Elf player. Did he start mm. playing Night Elf or did he transition into playing Night Elf? No, I think <clears throat> I only remember him playing Night Elf. Mm. And I don't even remember why we thought that. But we all, always thought, okay, he's so different from the other players. Like during the time, almost, you know, f- fetishizing of APM came around and sure. he had pretty high APM. And it was, I think now we call it EAPM, so effective APM. Right. And he, he always seemed to have very high EAPM in that regard. Was immensely successful. It's multitasking. I remember him being very good at my, micro, which, by the way, Grubby was also um, great at. And for those that have never watched Warcraft 3, Warcraft 3 is the RTS where micro is more, much more demanding and much more... 
um, important than macro is. Because macro, you really only have like maybe five production buildings ever, like even in the late game. Most of the time you, of course, don't build workers uh, late into the game because you can only have a maximum of five workers um, in, your in your gold mine. And then uh, you can have, uh, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. how many you need for harvesting uh, wood. So the macro aspect is not that big. Unless you have like uh, an expansion or whatever, but then also, Night have always had this, um, you know, that creeping or that um, attacking with uh, their buildings because they could unroot and essentially came, became very slow units. I remember that Moon almost, yeah, co completely changed how Night have played there. There were some, um, I think there was a meta during a time. Okay, so. For a while, it was very annoying that both human and orc would tower rush. And okay. there were, especially like a German player called uh, MTW Taker. Mm. And he had like the, the nickname Tower Taker. <laughs> like during that time, um, towers were like the signature move for some of these players. Mm. And then, you know, these uh, Ancient of War rushes came in and um, where where you would build what is essentially a barracks. Right, in someone's space. base? Not in, but near. Okay. And, and the interesting part about these buildings is is that they can eat like a tree, like the resource. To heal, right? To heal. Right. And okay. it was very hard to, to kill them then. Mm. And depending on what your micro was like or like your techniques, it was it was very interesting. And always, of course, we also have to think um, Warcraft wasn't um, like a, an RTS based on upkeep. Right. So upkeep was... If you go over 50 supply, suddenly you're getting less resources, at least gold. Um, and the first upkeep is 30% less. And that's already, you go from a peon brings 10 gold to a, a peon brings seven gold in. Mm -hmm. And then over, I think either, either 70 or 80 upkeep, uh, it switches to 30%. And then you're not getting much, right? So it's sort of like a comeback mechanic. Mm -hmm. now. Night Elves can extend that by having their Ancient of Wars. And I remember that no matter the state of the game, Moon would always have a super clever way to use, um, you know, the, the his buildings, essentially, to gain him an, an advantage. And, yeah, like, during the time, it was, it was nuts to see. Like, this guy was pretty much unbeatable for the longest time. And, I mean, if you... Depending on how you ate, I think it's completely fair to say that he was even a little bit better than Grubby when all was said and done. Fair enough. And I mean, they're all still kind of out there participating. I, I, If I remember correctly, I've seen Moon, I think very recently, played either a show match or a tournament in China and ended up donating his prize money to like a school or something. And they're they're all still out there doing the, doing the dang thing um, to kind of wrap warcraft 3 in, in, in a nutshell um at least you know in 2019 strangely enough it's weird to say that um do you think there could ever be a a, a push into prominence again do you think that reforged could be something that people should be paying attention to hmm so i think that stands and falls with china right mm. I, th I don't know if if the west can um can find love for that again. I think if there's an RTS, and we had the era of RTS basically from like 2011 yeah. to like the mid 
like 2015 maybe sure um i think and before that of course with warcraft as well um like it was basically like probably like 10 years where or 10 to 12 maybe mm-hmm. where uh, those were pretty big esports if there's an esport that come can come uh, an rts that can become an esport once again it would likely be warcraft 3 okay. simply because the hero system really takes away a lot from the confusion you understand a lot of power is built up in these hero systems and for those that have never played you have like a hero unit and they're special and they can level up and they gain abilities and you can build normal units but you cannot most of the time um you go to for like two heroes over the game but you can go a maximum amount of three but most of the time the early game is around one hero harassing gaining experience because what you also could do is creep that is kill npc characters gain gold gain items and experience crucially and there are cool mechanics in the game that makes it so that someone might harass you with their hero while their mm-hmm. uh, their army is creeping and the the main hero will get the experience and that allows for some really cool interactions around creep camps not just their their concepts like creep jacking so someone's doing the big camp and you try to get in you can do it with a stealth character like the blade master and you just pop out get the last kill on the minion and steal the item and you're out or you can try to you know get them from behind surround them force a tp or even kill some units that are now you know um weakened by by the creep camp if they were very strong Mm -hmm. and then also map locations like fountains it's just they are hot spots on the map, and the concepts are so clear in Warcraft 3 that I'm not sure if a rehashed version of that could ever make it into, you know, the kids' playrooms. But if something like this came out with AAA-type um, support, I think that might be the one RTS we could see that might revitalize uh, RTS as an eSport. You don't think... Uh... You know, the kids these days are going to stop flossing and talk about, you know, Moon's Ancient of War rush on Lost Temple. You don't think that's going to happen? <laughs> Probably not. The, the <laughs> thing is, the the great thing really about Warcraft was, sure. I think much more so than um, than StarCraft, was that playing 4v4 with friends was actually really fun. Mm. And just, you know... It is almost not in our, or I'm not sure if it ever was, or if it was just the hardcore gamers, but these 1v1 type of esports don't seem to work with an audience yeah. nowadays, right? It's like people want to either, you know, play with their friends or not depend or take all the blame themselves, sure. whatever reason there might be. Um, that didn't, it wasn't as bad in Warcraft 3 because like 3v3, 4v4 was very cool to play there were even some strategies and it was insane we played 4v4 with so my my crazy friend who was very good and i played with like two friends weren't as good Mm. but that didn't matter because what we were doing was we were feeding so these Ah. bad players would just build a hero and Mm -hmm. give us all their resources they would harass with the heroes so all they had to do was micro their hero while we were building bigger armies and we then could control and you could also hand over control of um of other units so the good player could you know micro here and there and (coughs) in the end it it really felt like you'd still won as a team even though some people carried them 
and the skill difference was really not that problematic. And I also remember, I'm not sure if that would still hold up uh, today because I think it was a slightly inferior strategy to playing normally. Mm -hmm. But we were playing like we we were fighting for the first spot in four v four with strategies like this, like with really mediocre players on our team, which was just fun, you know. Like yeah. we were mucking up, creeping, and they were like shouting at each other because <laughs> they couldn't control their one hero properly. So yeah, no, like that was a lot of fun, and I think that sort of got lost in the StarCraft juice. Mm. The 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 big overarching you know macro strategy real-time, yeah, big-picture stuff. Yeah, I think also, that, like, generally fights in StarCraft are just too many units mm. to make 4v4 or 3v3 feasible. True. Um, there's not much, too much micro. You could micro, but it doesn't feel that impactful. Mm. In Warcraft, you have a lot of healing mechanics for uh, units, right? You could, yeah. like, you have heroes that can heal units, so pulling them out at the last moment at 5 HP not only feels rewarding, but also you can get them back up. They're not just dead like they are with many units in, in StarCraft games, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they're never going to get back up again for, for some of these races, so mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I thought that was always a fun aspect of Warcraft 3. Well, I mean, to, to kind of touch on that, and again, I, I have very, very little uh warcraft 3 competitive experience well I, I shouldn't say very little i have zero warcraft 3 competitive experience i played a lot when i was a kid that kind of got me into like warcraft and the the mm. kind of uh lore around that i guess you could say um and each each character each unit had its own spells like i remember the foot soldiers for human had like a, a shield up mechanic where they would be slower but would take less projectile damage you know mm -hmm. it felt like every single unit had spells whereas in starcraft like you had like you know terror like the marines had had stim and you know the mm -hmm. medics would have you know some spells that were used every every so often but you'd have to research them and and you had to do that in warcraft 3 as well but it felt like there was a lot of individual little unit by unit kind of interactions that you could have um would mm. you say that again kind of supports the idea that this was a, a very intensely micro focused game less less so yeah. about the macro yeah yeah, yeah. It, that definitely was the case like mm. for instance just for night elves right sure all female night elves could during the night stealth mm. and there were ways to uncover stealth but you had to prepare for them so what you could do is like if you have long range units, you pop up here, you shoot. Then like when when the melee unit comes close, you you know stealth. Then the other guy on the other side um, stealths or so, stuff like this, right? Like inherently, just the races had a lot of mechanics. And then you know, yes, but like very few units didn't have an ability. Mm. Basically, um, there were some. But yeah, most of the time they had something that was interesting. It's also, if you think about it, it was so advanced in, in terms of what the mechanics were of the game. Yeah. So for instance, if you looked at the Morcha team, right, the, the human unit, it wasn't just that you point and clicked on a, <laughs> um, on a you know, building. A structure, it sure. Had, it, it had collision systems, right? You could shoot towards a specific location and if the mortar then came down when other units were in there then they would get damage right mm -hmm. that it would check for that type of damage that of course also allowed for a lot of mini games to yeah. uh, work um the map editor to the, like it's, to this it's day actually, yes it's unreal how far 
um, ahead it was of its time and what great like basically the entire mobile market we wouldn't have a lot of esports today if it wasn't for the warcraft 3 you know map editor and that that custom game community so again hats off to them like warcraft and you can't not talk about that because it is so ingrained within warcraft i still have friends to this day that have warcraft 3 on their pcs and will go and play original dota they'll play some tower defense which again kind of i wouldn't say created that genre of game but definitely popularized it for like the early 2000s yes. it was it was warcraft 3 you played tower defense it was fun right yeah yeah tower defense that was the people don't realize this because it wasn't really an esport ever sure but tower defense was for a while the the thing like brs battle royales are right now yeah. everything suddenly was a tower defense like <laughs> they, they had 3d adaptations actually the very core game mechanic of uh, Fortnite, when it came out, was try to defend yourself by building a base. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm not sure if they have self-shooting turrets or whatever, but building in order to, you know, survive zombie mazes or whatever, mm-hmm. right? But that that is, like, that is a thing that was, I guess it was also in StarCraft 1, from yeah. the matter, then ported into uh, Warcraft 3. And that, that entire genre, like, flash games um oh yeah orcs must die like these types of games all spawned from this very idea basically that we wanted to you know have these types of um matches and then people found the essence in them and the the idea of okay it's very interesting what to do like it's not it's not you know high maintenance it's no no, no like while clicking it's actually a lot of thinking mm-hmm. how do you like optimize here min max and um yeah that that genre was spawned from the warcraft 3 map editor as well and it's like i said it's it's a legend of its own accord you know spawning multiple different game genres and and really being something that a lot of people look back fondly on Uh, Mm -hmm. but warcraft 3 also kind of pioneered or or helped to lay the foundations of um one of uh, i'd say one of the at least our generation, like a very, very significant pop culture icon, which was World of Warcraft, which again, something that you were heavily uh, into. I think, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to throw you under the bus, but there was, there's a very specific video that I think Yiska will, will remember that uh, he, he showed me very early on when we first began, became friends where he uh, used to, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I if I speak uh, out of school here, but you used to jog to to create blog posts. To blog, is that right? Yeah, yes. is that right? Jogging for blogging. Yeah. So basically, like Warcraft three, we were when we were playing Warcraft three, we all start, we heard of World of Warcraft, and we were all like, we're not playing, paying twelve euros <laughs> a month to play this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that. That definitely didn't work out as we planned <laughs> Sure. Um, we went pretty hardcore there. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, I started playing World of Warcraft. Funnily enough, on an RP server for the longest time. Really? Got into Arena. Hmm. Yeah. Um, into Arena. And then um, I was still writing at the time. So Arenas right. were not a thing in the start of the game. Did a lot of PvP, though. Um the the battlegrounds basically yeah. we were on the I never made it to Grand Marshal I was more mm-hmm. like in the group that would push people towards Grand Marshal okay. we had like two of them 
and the grind system was was pretty intense from what i understand yeah i mean the the thing is most of the time because you were only playing on your server Mm -hmm. and if you had uh, a bad ratio then hordes the the horde on our server would be able to queue the entire day our queues were like three two to three hours long at times right most of the time one and a half but if you missed one of those rounds a day Mm -hmm. then you couldn't get grind marshal so we had to be there for for those and it basically was like play half an hour of pvp and then go to hearthland and farm your mats for uh (laughs) raids right sure so because pve gear was still very important in pvp and i enjoyed it a great deal and then i remember it must have been end of season three okay i've I had like two um, two good friends, and we were playing. And one of the friends said, "Well, this is really not that competitive here in the German battle group um, for arena three v three v three at the time. Let's transfer to uh, Cyclone." And Cyclone was the PvP battle group, so they they. Battle groups were basically like a connection between servers mm-hmm. that would then queue against each other in Arena. It's the first time they bridged the server-only gap and made it so that uh, better players could go there. And then you had to the uh, transfer mechanics, and that allowed a lot of people, or made a lot of people switch to Cyclone, the good ones. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was very competitive for a while. We played Rogue Mage Druid in Season, season 3. We were farming pretty much uh bluetooth was the name we weren't first but there was really only like three or four other competitive teams at the time we were like okay let's go to cyclone they will follow us anyway and try our luck there and i think we made gladiator at least that season even though there was you know some gladiators like top five yeah that's that's still like definitely very respectable yeah and um then season four rolled around I think we still played RMD. In hindsight, we have to say, like, I, I'm pretty sure I was playing Loki with one of the best druids in the world without an, anyone ever knowing because both I and my rogue, we were really not top notch, but we were winning against some of the best teams in the world at the time um, in very high skill match uh, um, team uh, mirrors. Mm. And some of those, we became tournament players at the end, right? And then. I think season five then was the first um, Wrath of the Lich King season, if I'm not mistaken, and we cheesed it up with uh, the Paladin, uh, Death Knight, Death Knight Pal- Prod Paladin, and yeah, that that was like me and my friend. Okay, my friend actually became a very good DK. Hmm. The Druid was still as good as ever, and I was like, yeah, I'm probably not good enough to play Mage competitively. <laughs> Because Mage was probably the uh, the most high skill cap class. And I was like, okay, so let's... Basically, our comp went like... Okay, we're we're going in, blow all of our our cooldowns. This guy has to use an item that's called the PvP Trinket, Mm -hmm. which lets them get out of crowd control um, instantly. And then we wait for our cooldowns to come up. And the second time, this guy can't survive. The burst is too much. The CC is too much. He will die. So basically, all our matches had like a two-minute timer. And if if the other team couldn't um, kill us before the two-minute timer, it was basically over. And 
We were competing for uh, rank one Cyclone. And at the same time, a Gamescom tournament happens. Mm. And I'm already writing blogs. And that, that's where Jogging Off for Blogging came from. Sure. I, uh, I, at the time, I was in law school. And in the first year... Okay, so the German system is sort of weird. You can write all the the class, like the other exams of the first um, semester or of the first two semesters in the first semester. And I did mm. that. So but basically second semester, I only had to show up and really d not do anything. And um, or that's at least what you were required to do. You could have, of course, done more. <laughs> but and um, yeah, during the time I start writing and um, have this jogging for blogging thing. And because I'm like, uh, deep in my books, I also gained a lot of weight. So I said, okay, I was always like a long distance runner. Let's get back into that. Let's do jogging for blogging. And basically what I did was I was quite happy at the time. And I said, okay, for every li 10 likes that this blog post gets and the, the site I was writing for was Game Riot and they had upvotes sure. already. Long before Reddit, I think. Um, and yeah, I ended up having to run like 12 or 14 kilometers on my first run Ow. and I'd, i had like blisters on my it was miserable but like i had this gps device uh, my my cell phone back in the day had like gps and it could like draw the map and people were live cheering for me and i could hear oh, really? that yeah that's it was, cool it, it was insane and um yeah basically that that then happened and i carved myself out so for, okay in order to explain where I got into content creation, before I already was doing replays for replays.com in Warcraft 3. So sure. I was doing replays, looked at them, and then when they were very good, I would give it to another staff member. We would double check so we could put them into the recommended uh, mm -hmm. section, right? And you were like required on average to watch like five replays a day. And um, yeah, that basically I wrote those and with very dodgy English. This is basically where I learned English. And hmm. um, so then I get into Warcraft, World of Warcraft um, content creation. And it's basically, there is this guy and it's probably the best, how, um, the best content creator or the most efficient, if you were going by hits, content sure. creator that esports fan, fans probably have never heard of and this guy was called ming and he had a website called world of ming and he initially only did like rogue um theory crafting and he start started like mixing in a little bit of drama and crucially naruto naruto was like the anime at the time sure and he made these these comparisons and they he like invented names for players and in a sense, mythologized, even though it was quite meme at the time. Um, for instance, like one of the rogues was called the Golden Child, and there was Nilio, um, and uh, I forget what Rackful was called, but Rackful was a very good, a very big mm -hmm. uh, personality because it was still sort of rogue centric, but not really. And the names that people would also recognize nowadays maybe is Pooks. Pooks for a while was the best mage possibly in the world, but definitely in the US. And uh, was playing for AG and um, yeah, that like th there were a lot of personalities from that, but I, th he, this guy had basically like the, the strong grip on the American scene 
and you would also use that America was an A type of uh, rivalry. And he had insane hits, insane hits for the time, right? Mm. I don't think anyone in, in, in competitive Overwatch is getting the hits that this guy is getting. He was making, I think, between... Like, would you compare it to, like, League? Because I know League content does very, very well, like, per, like, pretty, on average, pretty consistently. Would you compare it to, like, those numbers, maybe? Mm, Without yeah, knowing I'm specifics, not... but... Yeah, it, it is possible, because this mm. guy... It's, it was basically, remember, it wasn't like the internet was centralized. Everyone had their, their little fan sites True. that would go to. And this guy would have a block up every day. And then he would get other people on. And they were sort of, they were crazy personalities on. I remember he had one woman on there called Millie's. And she was the ex-girlfriend of, uh, from Jackass. Um, Steve-O? Sibo. Oh, really? from Sibo, <laughs> and she had been on on some modeling show or whatever, and she okay. was writing about it. She was like fangirling, wreckful, and whatever. It was pretty crazy what kind of personalities. Then another guy I remember was Bodie, um, who later on became a very successful person. Left esports though. Mm. Um, then even some players that then they themselves were drama attractors like. <laughs> Zilea and um, Serenia were riding on there, and it was it was insane. Like basically, if you were at all into WoW Arena, you were reading that blog. Now the problem was at some time, um, he pulled some stuff that wasn't kosher. Mm. Uh, and for instance, one one person with that was um, that was also around back then, who's still a successful Hearthstone streamer, I think, is Hafu, and Hafu. If you think about what Hafu did, like she was a very good player in World of Warcraft, then went into, went into uh, Bloodline Champions, and then in Hearthstone. She's possibly the most successful esports uh, female player of all time, yeah. but nobody really recognizes her as such. She was very good back in the day um, uh, and playing for a pretty good team. Also, interestingly, with, together with the Riot caster Azale, who's now like mm -hmm. one of the faces of the. Uh, yeah. LCS, right? So, yeah, esports is a village, dude. It and, really, it's a it's a small world. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, basically, um, this this dwindled uh, along a little bit. Um, yeah, and so this guy has the grip on the American market, mm -hmm. and I'm like, you know, I could do that for Europe, but I wasn't going to do it alone. I wanted to get some personalities from Europe. I I remember I approached Alec, and then I had another guy who was pretty pretty much like a, a little bit drama attracting, but also very good at theory crafting called, um, uh, yeah, I, I can't get the name right now, but sure. Um, and initially we wanted to rotate. Well, it, it after the first week, almost it turned into, if I wanted to have this blog <laughs> release content every day, mm -hmm. then I would have to write every day. Right. And I pretty much did that. I wrote like probably on average 1.5 to 3k words a day for like a year wow. i think and they had little block contests so whoever got the most hits that uh, that month could uh, get 250 dollars right sure so then i brought other people on and what because i was also writing for complexity then like mm. i um also had a writing gig with complexity and people kept recommending me for instance one guy that was very helpful back then was jp mcdaniel ah okay and i was 
people might know State of the Game, which was yep. the yep. the biggest podcast in StarCraft Two. Uh, yeah, StarCraft, yeah, StarCraft II, I would II. say. Mm -hmm. I was on the the sort of podcast before that, the archetype of that, um, and it was called Arena Cast. Mm. And I would basically give the juice from Europe and um yeah, I basically carved out a name as the guy from Europe. And it actually like at the time it opened quite a lot of doors for me. I remember going to uh CBIT mm -hmm. for an uh, ESL tournament and sure. co complexity allowed me to be the manager for the uh, complexity black team and I was introduced to like the the head guy Intel Europe and I'm like whoa what's going on here because <laughs> I was from Game Riot and this side had insane hits so it was like ESL was always very welcoming towards me and like I, I sadly let it slide but I made some good friends there back in the day and crucially and I'll get on off my rant here but no can, I, please continue I was also on a on a um, show format called Woverload by Too Good, James Too Good Harding, right? Yeah, yeah. I was on there twice, and here it comes back to jogging for blogging because I was known for jogging for blogging. So I thought, like, why not do that during a live show? <laughs> yes, yeah, so this is the video. This is the video that I referenced before, you know, the tangent where I, I do believe you can still find this on YouTube if you are so inclined to find it. I will not. Uh, link it, but if you so choose to, you can find it out there. But please continue and describe the uh, the the efforts of jogging for blogging, talking to I think who who is his co-host? Because I think it was somebody. Oh, okay. I, I, he works I remember still in games, but yeah, he? Okay. he was a he, he was a dreamer type, but very funny. Basically, that is the archetype of what now is such on brand. Okay, like Zama was brand. <laughs> And Sideshow was uh, too, too good, good, even though Too Good had his shit more together than the Sideshow does. Sure, let's be honest. sure. <laughs> it was also better at games. Um, no, Too Good was a pro player in Quake, so that, no, that, fair that, enough. That's, okay, that's, yeah, Sideshow got the got the aim. I'm looking at Zenyatta. I'm not, I'm not hating, but um, <laughs> so basically, I'm the ESL gives me a time, mm. right? And it was sort of like really like a TV show, so sure. I would put be put on loop on hold and I would go out and I had my little headset on and of course technology was terrible back then. So they tell me, Oh, you're going to be on about then and then. I'm like, okay. So I start jogging, I'm already like thirty minutes in, and I'm like, okay, so the, they should call me every minute. And I'm still put in this loop and then half an hour later they still haven't called me. And I'm like <laughs> Man, like jogging gets very very exhausting now, right? So um I think another 15 minutes later, the guy goes, okay, you're going to be on in a second. And I'm like, okay. And um, I was living outside the city at the time. Sure. So it was, was a lot of fields. And I was literally in the middle of a field. And wind was blowing hard. So I get put, put through to the studio. And the, the first thing James says is like, hey, Iska. Can you get rid of the wind sound? And I'm like, okay, so I'm pulling up my jacket <laughs> trying to do this thing, right? Sure. Doesn't really work. And it's like, Yiska, can can you stop moving? I'm like, I'm not moving. What can I do now? <laughs> so I'm uh, literally in the middle of a field, like an acre, mm -hmm. right? 
and I put my head into the dirt <laughs> to form like a you know like you have like these little yeah uh, little mountains and mm -hmm. between them I press my face and shield the microphone from the wind and start talking to them and it's and he's like yeah it's not perfect but this will have to do it. I'm like what do you expect me to do here like <laughs> it can't get any better so yeah and I I, I remember it being like just pitch black pitch black but basically no light I'm pressing my head into the dirt talking about wow esports <laughs> and like being very exhausted too from the run mm. and uh yeah that first interview was an absolute disaster i think and i think you can still find it on youtube yeah. but you know it's uh, yeah it was hilarious i don't know what i was thinking doing that well i mean if you're known for something you want to be you know interviewed while you do it you know it's kind of uh, on brand i suppose at the time yeah but, yep. you know, you mentioned that you went to CBIT and you were the manager for this complexity team for a very brief stint. You know, what mm -hmm. kind of what kind of uh, you mentioned that you, you met like the head of Intel Europe. But what other kind of people did you manage? What kind of, uh, you know, maybe some esports names that people might recognize now that you maybe have run into over the years yeah, or, or so... it did at the time? OK, so. There was the qualifying event for European players, and it was mm. in a small, somewhere in Cologne, like almost like a gym. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, some guy was casting CS. He had a Lakers shirt on. He had like puffy hair mm. and red puffy hair. Mm. And uh, the wild players, like you have to understand, they were the hardcore players. Like Quake was still on the IEM circuit, sure. as well as uh, CS, right? And mm -hmm. these were like the hard games. So if a, if WoW comes on, we still were moaning about you know the global cooldown, and even the CS players were playing WoW, yeah. but said like, oh, it's not that skillful or whatever. So we were like sort of like the scrubs. It was always like a uh, look down mentality. While we had, we're like tripling their views. Sure, right? sure. So. Sort of like esports looks at Fortnite now, I guess. And um, yeah, I'm I'm in that venue. And then, for instance, I talked to Alex Müller from SK Gaming, and yeah, the the guy I was talking about earlier turned out to be Thorin. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I didn't know him. I think like for for a while, I think one time he asked me back in the day if I wanted to write for SK Gaming. The thing was. American companies were paying very well for writing, while SK Gaming wasn't offering any uh, writing money. So that was a no-brainer for me, right, mm -hmm. during the time to take, take that as a student. So, um, yeah, but uh, other interesting personalities. For instance, I did observing at CBIT for a while. Oh, and really? Yeah, and for the second stream. Mm. And um, Take from Take TV. Okay. Talked me into that. He was still a product manager during that time there. I remember Sean. I remember uh, Julia, who I'm not sure if she still works at ESL, but she, yeah, she went back to school and made her, did, did a PhD on like uh, development of children with gaming. That, that was pretty dope. Hmm. Um, but she was like one of the higher up people for ESL. Uh, of course, like people like Rackful are pro probably big, bigger names nowadays. He was playing in. Um, I was interviewing him because we were in the same organization. He was on uh, Complexity Red though, so mm. he wasn't the team I was coaching. But because I was writing for uh, Complexity, um, that was sort of like closely connected. And 
one of the guys that I was also friends with during that time was um, Reels. And I think he's now on the team for um, for Hearthstone. He's like a, a like gameplay a QA developer. Tester. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, he's actually higher up than Q&A now. Oh, um, okay. Uh, yeah, like people like that. Uh, is there anyone else that was interesting? I mean, there were super crazy people. And unfortunately, not a lot of European players made it. Mm. A lot of American players, like for instance, uh, Talbadar was right. one. He's now in Q and A. Uh, wow, um, Toes was around, was streaming for a while. Like that didn't work that well for the European guys for some reason. Like we, they were more into winning and not really that much about personality. Mm -hmm. And they were making money. Okay, that is a crazy story. <laughs> Americans were making money that way as well, but sure. For a while, they were legitimately billionaires paying. Wow, players to play arena with them. Yeah, and the craziest part was some of them were like uh, crown princes, arriving mm -hmm. countries or something like that. Like you can and... find old clips. I think Recful has one. I think the old StarCraft two player in Control now does like tabletop games and whatnot, and does like D and D. Um, I think he has a story where he was approached by like a like an oil tycoon. He's like, hey, I, like I want yep. you to, I, I want, I want to fly you out to Dubai, and I just want to like hang out with you. Like, would you be interested? And and yep. of course, you you randomly get an email like that, and you're you're so take it back. But but continue like this. This is something that actually happened, people. It's it's insane to talk about this now. Like people, it was surreal. I had a couple of friends who did this, mm -hmm. and it was like, okay, so we were playing with them, and then suddenly they would get a call. And you'd hear like the crown prince uh, <laughs> wants to play in 45 minutes. And they're like, okay. And then this guy would get new PCs for them. They would get like a, almost like an allowance of 1,500 uh, euros back then, which was a lot, right? Yeah. Um, and to top it all off, this guy was not bad. At, at really? <laughs> it was actually pretty good. Like it wasn't a liability to play fives with him. So okay, insane. Some colleges were paid. Uh, by by people like that it wow. wasn't just one there were businessmen like that hmm. world of warcraft was all the rage people wanted to get these number one titles and they played with the best players in the, in the world and they had no feeling for money right because like it wasn't were, an issue yeah like I, I remember one of the teams was invited to dubai and they were flying like helicopter rides whenever they wanted to like just in a That's in wild. a top star hotel just being flown around and just living like insane lifestyles during the time something that we now only connect to like the youtubing type sure of, like, they were doing that way before youtube popped off that way right hmm. absolutely insane so yeah um and that worked out for quite some of course I mean, boosting was also a thing in World of, of Warcraft. Of course, I think it's in any them. any game, any competitive game. You're gonna have people that are good and want to monetize it, and you know, yeah, you could look at yeah. it however you want, but it, it exists. Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, it's also uh, like there are the other people that legitimately just are set for life because of boosting now. Sure, it's absolutely nuts. They ran companies <laughs> and whatever. Yeah, I don't know. It's um. It, it was a crazy time because, mm. okay, so theoretically, this was after the, the esports bubble bursted after um, CGS. CGS. Sure. Yes. So esports in itself wasn't that big, but it was ramping up to be, right? Mm -hmm. And we were getting these like big stages at IEM and 
Um, they were renting out like pretty big venues in Cologne and it like World of Warcraft had stupid amounts of hits. I remember yeah. hearing numbers at CBIT, like literally like tripling the numbers of CS and Quake combined or something like this. And it was, it was, it, it, from my understanding, because again, like I, I've been a, a lurker in esports for a long time, never, never just really set foot into, until Overwatch. But I remember hearing people like Sir Scoots and, you know, Adam Apicella and, and people oh, at MLG talking about those numbers and they, they couldn't be believed because they were so outlandish, from my understanding at least. At least yeah, how I remember. Yeah. But that was the thing. Like, World of Warcraft was by far the biggest game, like League mm-hmm. of Legends was for the, for the, time afterwards right and that way it actually made sense and also like mm-hmm. not gonna lie ming had a big part of it to just like get the drama aspect into esports as well like this guy carried that scene and it was at times in a dirty way sure but most of the time it was just silly right it was mm-hmm. really silly and people like just loved the silliness of uh, of that spectacle and there were cool personalities like Wreckful, uh like Vang rookie guys like that who had a certain you know swagger about them and could like just work as as people and that was always of course i remember there was a guy called affix and he was a mage he was always talking about theory craft and then sure he was like sort of like a a respected individual in the scene and then he got access to xfire xfire which Ah. to my understanding was one of the first streaming Mm -hmm. services possible but even at the time that was like an alpha test so this guy was only allowed to ever stream like very very little because the gigabytes would were (laughs) ramping up whatever like the technology wasn't there but yeah that was like immediately a lot of people were watching even though this guy wasn't like a huge name and that was sort of when streaming began i I think Mm -hmm. Uh, like pre-cataclysm they were chinkering around with that and yeah, like, we were feeling like, okay, so this, like, MLG was running um, World of Warcraft uh, alongside Halo. IEM was running World of Warcraft. Like, we were on a high, right? We were yeah. getting, slowly we're getting job offers. Sadly, I ran into um, one of the, I wouldn't call it scam, but, yeah, it was it was shady, uh, called uh, Six Jacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had a sucker shooting. Some old people will remember. Yeah, Atrosis was involved in there, and I wrote for their, um, for their uh, WoW section. And mm-hmm. like, I was a student. I needed to just make a little bit of money, and that was fine. Uh, the, the game ride thing. I was then splitting it, and I was honestly, yeah, like. There were I had a couple of interesting people on my blog role, and I was paying them, so there wasn't much left over when when my uh, month was done. Sure. So I was like, okay, so now I'm getting myself paid, right? Hmm. Complexity was paying me well, well for, I mean, well means twenty five bucks an article back then, right? So, um, yeah, I was I was sort of uh, hyped, and then I thought, okay, so now let's professionalize this. Mm-hmm. Sadly, that, like we ran into that one problem, and then of course the scene sort of was killed off. I would say, yeah, kind of uh, once once the plug was pulled 
on MLG and, uh, you know, people, people clamp down on the scene. I can imagine it was very difficult to, to make that happen. Mm. And, and that's where I, I feel like there's a big gap in, in your story where wow kind of fizzles off. Then you, you pop back up in overwatch. What, what was the, the life of, of Jessica in, in, in those years in between? Mm. So I remember like I was leveling cataclysm. We weren't getting any wow tournaments. Sure. Um, one of my good, f like basically my best friend at the time who was like supporting me doing the back, back end stuff for the blog post sadly passed away. And I was like, oh. yeah, I'm fucking done with this. Sure. And, um, I was also like being owned for me, very substantial amounts of money. Uh, got fragged really did me dirty and I was like, okay, so everyone's in this scene is basically scamming. I was really, I was basically in a lot of ways, the volumel of, uh, <laughs> world of Warcraft, because I was just like, you know, you get like oh, the puppy protection if you're young enough, right? Like where if sure. you just sit down, you just do your work, people older than you, more successful than you will just come over and give you a hand and we'll mm. try to give you opportunities. And yeah. that was happening. And at the, at the end, like the, the people try to provide opportunities for them. I'm not blaming the guys that gave me the opportunities. Right, a lot of, of them ended up working out like the complexity deal, for instance, mm -hmm. but, um, that JP McDaniel got me, but, um, some of them absolutely didn't. And actually like I was, I was actively thinking about like, stopping the law school stuff and just getting into content creation actually take took a break from that semester mm -hmm. and just wanted to really grind like grind it out also do more than esports stuff do a little bit of cataclysm stuff yeah and then it all came crashing down and uh yeah i think for a while i just i think then league of legends sort of started happening and my group of friends then basically that is has been my life for the longest time is I get into an English community like sure. we have now with our Discord. And then at some point something happens to that and I bounce back to my German friends and then I go back with to my German gaming friends and then blah 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 back and forth, back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. And um yeah, I was basically back into that uh German group and we were playing League of Legends and was actively following StarCraft 2, played that a bunch. Um, because I wanted to get my RTS uh, out of my system again sure. from Warcraft. And uh, yeah, I, um, I... Oh, I remember also, like way back in the day, I already was playing against Internet Hulk and then also in StarCraft 2, I was fo uh, following around. He mm -hmm. was very close here. And he actually, like funny enough, again, Esports is a village. Like we have common relatives, uh, as yeah. it turned out. And, um, yeah, like that, that all happened. I was really just a consumer of esports for the longest time while I was doing stuff in real life. Sure. And, um, yeah, somehow <laughs> I signed up for the Overwatch beta. Oh, did you? And yeah, I tried to get into the Overwatch beta and I did it on one account, just my main account. And I was like, not very likely, right? Mm -hmm. And then I got it, and my I was waiting for all my German friends to get it because, like, I thought, okay, this is very normal to get it. As it turns out, no, you were one of the sick, like, <laughs> few 
And to this day, I still don't know if someone from my Blizzard, that eventual Blizzard friends, put me on that list. And if they did, I'm very thankful to them because a you'd never told me, so you're <laughs> sort of like the the silent uh, uh, helper. But um, that put me on really on to the path that I've taken now. Like I got mm. in, into beta, like pretty much. Like they had the very first wave and then the second wave i was already on the like two weeks later so very early in beta i was already watching streams i um looked at the tournaments and whatever and started playing and yeah it was it's funny like a lot of the top uh, european players i already encountered back then like numlocked or um nevix like that those were guys i was playing against in my in my games like that right so mm. yeah it's pretty crazy and and of course and i still think these are out there as well but you started or you were a part of a very early podcast or i believe the name was Watchpoint. funnily enough um, yeah went for quite a while did a lot of theory crafting study of the game talk about the game you're you're a co-host there yeah well the thing is it was okay so back then sure the main subreddit started up and there was not not yet the separation so i put out a mm. post said okay i want to make a podcast out of this right mm. and two guys messaged me immediately and we already get uh get um coordinating and then like a week later someone else sends me a message and says like oh yeah i really want to be part of this i'm very good at editing blah 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 and yeah it was too late basically at this point but this other guy turned out to be hame who is like a featured content creator does very okay. clean like in uh like lore stuff then also imagery stuff like very high quality i think like 500k uh, youtube uh, now for overwatch wow. on youtube yeah uh, yeah that's sort of we let that opportunity pass i guess <laughs> well i mean how but, could you know yeah of course um the two guys guys that was doing it with um were very nice we did it actually for a while i think almost a year maybe longer yeah you guys were going on like i want to say 50 plus episodes no yeah i think so yeah and creating stuff it, it wasn't that hardcore no like, of course not. i was pushing for the hardcore yes uh angle while the other two were like also interested Doing in like, skins yeah of course like talking about the game very much a it, it felt like, like a Chan Man show where he came in, dabbled across every field. You'd have somebody come in, talk about like the skins and like what's happening with the game, what events out. And then you'd have somebody that talks about like the tournaments and it, very much a, a successful format just needed to mm. breathe and grow. And what, what, whatever, whatever kind of happened with that? With the podcast? Yeah. So one of the guys was, um, uh a dad of three. Oh, okay and so difficult to to carve out some time for games yeah and he also wasn't feeling overwatch much like he was mm. really a, an fps head and when you realize this isn't going to take to the purest fps route right he said like yeah my drive is not really and that was fair enough and then mm -hmm. we tried for like two episodes to do it without him but yeah it, it unfortunately fizzled out and uh yeah that never really happened even though like it's funny. I look at some of those videos, and because we could still post on the main subreddit, some of them have pretty like, like much higher views than videos uh, get nowadays on our oh, really? Like even even if Harsha puts like a video out, it's like one point two k sure views or something like that. Like that. 
like we were getting some of those videos had like 5k views or whatever wow. of course this is all like i remember posting something it was called don't marry the meta and it was mm. basically about envious picking up mickey and i was concerned that this team as it was was only ever viable in that one meta and that this would be problematic down the line and while they won apex based on mm -hmm. that they and i was like putting it into to a yisk analogy you know like um you know like uh marrying someone is like signing a contract and then there's kids which are like the the trophies and whatever and i was doing it in a playful way but really the title don't marry the meta and we both know nobody reads articles really anymore like percentage-wise speaking like it's like oh this title appeals to me click oh it's not about that it's not about okay. yeah <laughs> but the but the few people who do we love you we love you for reading all of the jargon that we write but yes absolutely i remember so, i remember don't marry the meta i remember um the many-faced god talking about i think Mendel. Mm -hmm. yeah you, you've had some, uh, some pretty pro many-faced <laughs> many-faced god was about tibic Oh, okay. And Mendo, Mendo at the time was was in that, and it's it's an interesting because the uh, "Don't Marry the Meta" one mm -hmm. has over one hundred thousand views now. Wow! Absolutely nothing comes close in terms of content <laughs> because we don't get to post on the main summer. And honestly, if you're if you need to go by CPM, none of the writers probably in Overwatch are profitable unless you can tune up the uh, the CPM um, mm -hmm. not with like you know other cool ways to monetize. But yeah, that was that was pr still pretty cool to be able to write there and or get that on the front page on um, our Overwatch. Mm -hmm. And. Um, yeah, I was doing a little bit of writing. I remember then I joined Gosu Gamers because I was mostly posting a medium because I liked the aesthetics of it. <laughs> and yes, then Broda, I think his name was, approached me and said like, yeah, want, want to write for us? I did that for a bit. Um, wrote a couple of articles there, some news because with Gosu Gamers, you always yeah, have to have like a share yeah. news to... Um, to uh feature post and i was doing uh my already my um essence of heroes mm -hmm. interview uh, series. series yeah i was doing um like feature articles for instance on cloud nine uh, i was doing like for a while immortals was really pushing like their content creation mm -hmm. and i had we had like a an interview with verbal oh, and yeah. nomi and that was I did that together with per Peggy, and that's basically where I got to know mm -hmm. Peggy. Um, and, Moira, uh, for those uh, who who aren't familiar with their first name, uh, you can I'm sure you've seen some of their content, you know, plastered yeah. around all of all of everywhere because they do some some very very sick stuff. But can continue. Yeah, the re the their recent um, YouTube montage was pretty quite sweet, nice. Yeah, I gotta say, yeah. So. Uh, again, Ghost of Gamers is not um, not paid. So eventually, okay. So I I get to know this guy called Karachol, 
and he's like a Greek guy, and he asks me, like, we, we get into an argument, and that is actually a trend in esports, I think. A lot it's of people get so into an argument. Because that's how we first met, is we we bickered back and forth on Twitter. I think it had to do something with Kongdu Panthera, and then we took it to DMs, and then I was like, oh, I think this guy's actually, like, pretty reasonable. We'll have a discussion. It's not, like, just some random, uh, you know, social media guy who just wants to, like, hate you you know mm-hmm. nice guy so again I, it's it, it sounds like it was something very uh similar with carhold that you know you debate you, yeah. you you kind of learn them that way and you kind of befriend them but continue because i know i i kind of know where you're headed with this but yeah and then uh he is already working with winston snap on stuff mm-hmm. and he introduces me to baroy and we talk a little bit and um like eventually okay so then i do a podcast with karakol mm-hmm. and it was called uh g-rated g-rated, g-rated exactly time. yeah and uh what was the name or that was the name of the channel the actual podcast was overrated. Called overrated yes and you'd have your yeah. your little intros that were quite yeah. funny at times some of them were pretty <laughs> funny and uh, I remember we actually, like, Karajol especially had a pretty good nose for talent. Like, we had, for instance, Arrow on very mm-hmm. early. And we're getting to know him. And we were singing high praises for him. And pre- that pretty much also, like, just getting to know him. Like, if you look at the content we created before, even after uh um, overrated. Sure. We created uh, during when Arrow wasn't signed. We were always massively positive on him, right? Like mm-hmm. th- this guy was just underrated. It's just th- he was managing so many teams that were really like contenders. Then yes. they, they, he raised them up, and um, we're always contending for to be like one of the best T two teams, so to speak, in, the, mm-hmm. in their region and. Him always getting passed up first, like get letting uh, being let go by immortals, then not being signed by outlaws. That was just heartbreaking because we knew this guy is a very good coach. Mm-hmm. He has the fundamentals. Um, he understands how to lead people. Uh, why is he not getting opportunities, right? And so, yeah, that podcast in itself it was highly technical. We were dry, <laughs> like. <laughs> <coughs> Karajol himself had a, has a very dry hu- humor mm. and um yeah like we were, we were talking about very technical topics and um it is, it is actually hard probably for most viewers to to th- understand that I got less dry <laughs> over the year 2008 <laughs> like I'm very dry now but I was I was bone dry uh <laughs> at the site and I'm trying to get there and yeah it eventually he didn't um didn't feel it anymore in Overwatch sort of left that that scene mm-hmm. and I was still then f- already friends with uh, Baroy met him at Takeover and he asked me to write for the for Winston's lab and that's uh where I've been writing uh till now mm. but yeah like because of Winston's lab, of course, we made a lot of dope friends like Eden. Yeah. And we just keep adding to the pile of like cool insider people. And really, it's really a fruitful, like sort of bouncing off information where 
sometimes I fear that we're getting too far ahead of ourselves in terms of what we talk about and what the t community can yet understand. Mm. Because if you get people into the mix who are legitimately, like even, even if you put them in a room with Overwatch League coaches, sure, and you let them talk, I think they emerge from that as the top 10% of Overwatch knowledge. Mm. Someone like Dream, right? Sure. So when, when you, basically my idea always is, and I tell that to uh, um, to children too because I teach now, so that's what I was doing in uh, in real life. And um, like the the best thing you can do is sort of change your environment if you're not being productive. Mm -hmm. Like just try to get people in because input is out output. Now, if you have quality input from the outside and surround yourself with like very knowledgeable people that aren't yes men that is also very important that mm -hmm. it doesn't create an echo chamber um it facilitates content the problem is that you have to sort of give that lifeline where the the viewer can pull themselves up on to right. understand the level you're yes. talking about uh, that that is basically like my new year's resolution to get much better at that to really be mindful of where i let people uh, leave people off in terms mm. of knowledge and it, it is hard because if you are only communicating with like people that are deep into overwatch then and they also have to protect some of the information of course of course you know like strategy and whatever mm -hmm. like it's it's hard to not only dance around your knowledge but also know what the what the average level is that people can still understand what you're saying yeah, no, it's so. it, it, it's something that I think a lot of content creators um, have to go through, whether it's written, whether it's video, if it's a podcast, um, you can't it, it can't just be all about what you're interested in unless you're already at that level and people love your brand and are really invested in you. And then they're there for you in the first place. So you can kind of have that freedom. But there is a there is a, I think a fine art to kind of like finding yourself in terms of how you relate to people. Like how much sugar do I have to put on the cough medicine mm. so that the kid will take it? You know, um, mm. you, nobody likes to take cough medicine. It, it's still to this day. I, 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 you know, I think that's the million dollar industry that we need to crack into is revolutionizing cough medicine because it still yes. tastes like absolute butthole. Um, yeah. The, but, the problem I have for myself is, sure. is I still want it to be medicine. Yeah, you you, 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 you enjoy medicine? the you enjoy I the don't anguish. Want to, yeah, I don't want it to be just sugar. Of course, of course. So, like for me, okay. So just conceptually, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I understand that a lot of people perceive esports or Overwatch as a competition as entertainment it's just something you come home yeah. from work it's like relaxing to watch that and have a little bit of the competitive drive out of you um i think there's much more subconscious stuff that gets emitted to an audience in there mm. and messaging imagery and the values that are being transported are immensely important and yeah. if we think that overwatch might be the prototype of what the future of esports might look, look like, like sure. then 
laying the brickworks that the tone of the broadcast isn't only like fun and games, but also life enhancing experiences mm -hmm. is at the heart of all my content I do. And I, I'm afraid I was, for the most part, was going very hard on the medicine and not enough on the sugar this year. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to reevaluate these, um, these, uh, these ratios. But yeah, basically, like if you had a hierarchy of uh, of things that's happening, right? Mm -hmm. On the ground floor, it's of course entertainment. Like it's yeah. just something that people people want to be entertained, joy from. Yes, yes, yes. But like the first thing is like happiness and joy, right? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, people that produce this entertainment need to eat. So they, the money needs to be there to lubricate that system so it's sure. sustainable. But at the highest level for me are the levels, the values that are being um, mm -hmm. um, purported. And I think, in essence, really sports is a control mechanism for, for society in many ways. Also hmm. traditional sports in that sense. So while people get their drama, their almost requirement to see some sort of violence right you see boxing in a way yeah and, yeah and like their their idea of unrealistic relationships between like you know like um pro players and themselves like th this is sort of like they get that out of their system it's something that that occupies the rascal right in themselves mm -hmm. so that's it's it's sort of like a sponge for negativity while on the plus side, it also ought to transport values, sure. right? That are invoked in the viewers. So one of of them that I've been big on was basically appreciation and pursuit of excellence, but it's also just general virtues, mm -hmm. appreciation, and then also empathy, right? It's to and this is probably something I was not good at this year mm. is to. And only really over the holidays came to realize that the humanization of esports is an important part because while it is basically us spinning our own mythology, it is very important that we don't perceive these people as gods. Yes, 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 yes. And it's not literal <laughs> gods. Don't take me too literally here. Yeah, but it's, as, it's metaphorical, but... Yes, gods as ideas, mm -hmm. right? As Unrealistic putting people on exactly. pedestals is, is quite dangerous. Yeah, because in themselves they are rascals, mm -hmm. right? There's like one of my favorite philosophers called Alan Woods has this concept of the um, irreducible element of rascality. And then, for instance, uh, like a lot of world religions have this, like the sure. uh, I, I think uh, Judaism has the Yetzirah. Jung had the shadow, like this this element that you are. There's potentiality of, like, just being a, of evil in mm -hmm. you, and to find like a wealth for that in something, right? That hence why like toxicity in in itself is not that problematic because I think there's a threshold for, like, for me it is a problem as soon as that toxicity creates more toxicity right and isn't just a thing that gets out of the system if mm -hmm. it actually breeds more toxicity that is the problem not necessarily that there's toxicity in the first place and 
um, to yeah, kind of understand that's, that's... that a little bit. It's be, it, the the issue that you have is that it, it creates this never ending cycle, but it's it's fine in the sense that we all kind of have a little bit of like uh, what, what you kind of call rascality. Like, you know, we're all kind of a little bit uh, edgy at times. Like there's yes. there's not a perfect person, right? Yes. To, just to kind of break that down. Okay. I mean, there's in me. There's just okay. So if you watch an entertaining mu- movie like mm-hmm. a comedy, right? Sure. There does, even though there often is, there doesn't necessarily have to be an, a, an element that upsets you. It can, from start to finish, be a very unlike real life experience mm-hmm. where everything is going well. Sure. And in itself, it doesn't need to be a self-contained system. I, I think, for sports entertainment, this couldn't be further from the truth. In order for sports to not only feel uh, authentic, mm-hmm. but to, like, spread its full value. You need all the parts of yes. life. You need the downs. Yes. You need to tell the story of the bad, uh, of the worst teams, right? To and kind you of accentuate need... the good teams. Yes, exactly. Because sadly, in us, there is this tr- hedonistic treadmill, right? Sure. Like, if everything is amazing, then amazing com- becomes normal, and we need insane. Mm-hmm. Now every clip on our uh, competitive Overwatch is insane. And then saying Sunday is normal. So what do we do? Do we race to the top and just say like galactical, like <laughs> universal, like you're running out of adjectives. No, what sure. you got to do is you got to, I was actually going to do a video on this, but it, I found out that it wasn't that substantial, but I guess it's a fine point to bring up now. I think there's also a certain celebration of the duality of systems. And what do I mean by that is mm. the same way that there, there can be a celebration of excellence, but there has to be an ish appreciation of mediocrity or like bad sure. things, right? In the same sense that you che- cherish life, there needs to be a part of you that accepts death in a sense. There is this, you can't conceive of things without having the contrast, right? Sure. Like it's, you, you need, basically the other side of the balance in order to appreciate it just ask yourself if you for instance get a holiday paid and mm-hmm. you didn't work for it at all and you were really a lazy sack like <laughs> maybe you were in college college during that time sure like how much are you going to enjoy that specific um hard to holiday? Say. yeah but if you really work for it even if you get a worse holiday and mm-hmm. if it was really strenuous like because you had the suffering element of it the 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 good parts feel so much better. Mm-hmm. It's like you go on a long walk, you don't have water, and usually you're like, Ugh, water, I wouldn't pop, dude. Like, <laughs> water is like so bland. No, if, you, if you've gone through like mountains and hills and come home and finally have the water, that is godly ambrosia, right? Mm-hmm. So it is also very important to me that it doesn't just turn into this race to the top of adjectives and also emotion, but that we tell the story of the terrible. Yeah, and... it's important. Like you said, like you you don't really appreciate things until you're uh, faced with like the immediate opposite. And, and a great example that I've seen kind of repeated just through the content that I absorb, um, a comedian, Burt Kreischer, has a podcast. Um, you People might know him from his uh, very enigmatic story about uh, him in Russia and uh, potentially robbing a train car. Just saying it's out there look it up um and and it's you know in in jest for the most part or is it who knows 
Um, so, so he talks about doing the, this, this massive bungee jump and he kind of breaks down his experience. And then the most recent experience that Will Smith had, um, I think celebrating his birthday, like jumping out of a helicopter and he, he, he draws the, the tie-ins there. And he talks about how you really don't feel alive until you're met with like the tease of this could just go all wrong and I could just fall into the Grand Canyon yes. and just be a pancake. And it's kind of this life reset where you're, you're, you're faced with this possibility of imminent disaster. And in that moment, you've never, you, it's, it's inexplainable on how alive you feel in that moment. Because now, oh, the pizza that I eat when I get off this bungee cord and the, the, the celebration that I can have with my family is so heightened because of what could have happened, right? And that's the same thing when we look at the Oprah, just like what was just saying. Um, the NYXL, the, the London Spitfires, you know, these great teams don't look as good when we don't have anything to compare them to, when we don't have the Shanghai Dragons, yes. when we don't have the Florida Mayhem. So it's it's not that we... I guess I, I shouldn't speak for you. Would you say that we need this or we have to at least acknowledge that it kind of exists? We we have to call it like it is. You sure. don't have to dramatize how awful something is. Sure. Uh, we Basically, what we need to do is just tell it like it is. Mm -hmm. Like in itself, Overwatch is already a, a metaphor for... <laughs> yeah real life applications right mm -hmm. like that's that's the beauty of video games you like it's so abstract what is happening it's just like colorful video game characters <laughs> fight each other by like also being like apes intelligent apes <laughs> on the other sure. you know like it's completely bizarre if you really think about it mm -hmm. but because it's so bizarre, it allows you to take a step back and see the metaphors behind the stories that you're being told, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, wait, okay, so in itself, okay, this is gameplay. But under that, what is that? Who's right. there, right? Who's, what are they feeling? What are the, the circumstances that they had to overcome? Mm -hmm. And in essence, this applies to everyone's life, mm -hmm. right? And to see top performers in a highly metaphorized field that is the maximum value that sports provides. It's just something that has absolutely nothing to do with the survival of the fittest or whatever. No. But it encapsulates still that essence of competition and really grabs it all and lets the viewer sort of gain intuitive lessons, especially if you can tell the stories of what it's actually like behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. That's why I also how players like got there, you know, uh, a great one. Know me, look at how, how much adversity he's had to go through and what, you know, being in the overwatch league or being in the overwatch community means to him and his family. Um, you know, yes. something that you've quite been familiar with, you know, interviewing him back on immortals. Um, yeah. yeah. Just, just following the, and really getting an idea. And also, like you, you gotta be genuine in your reporting. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you can't over dramatize it, or we all get insensitive to yes towards it. Right? Like you said, so, it's that treadmill. Yes, exactly. So if we can in 2019, I guess, mm -hmm. sort of get that authenticity in in the in the Overwatch scene, and then also like the the guys like they they are content <coughs> creators that were much better at me, than me at getting the sugar right. Sure. And if we can meet in the middle. 
and give the medicine to the masses while also giving the sugar to the masses so they can swallow it down mm -hmm. i think like that is that is the sweet spot for the future of like the archetype of what should be an esports league for mm -hmm. decades to come yeah and i think now that we've told the story um last last kind of little thing you, you touched on new year's resolutions do you have anything other than you know trying to make the content a little sweeter do you are you anything personal that you've got coming up that you want to you know work on any any kind of new year's resolution for you because it is 20 so one thing i want to do is make my uh you know thinking it over a little bit more approachable i guess uh, okay. look at the verbiage i am using mm. always provide like entry points because is i mean that is something that I had to professionally overcome, just like the knowledge gap of okay. what I know and what what the child can know at this point. And really, like, basically, what I want to do in 2019 is go, go explore mm -hmm. the community like I would do for the individual child. So if the child comes to me and says, okay, I don't understand this thing, mm -hmm. then I go like, okay, do you understand this? Nah, I don't really know what you know how the negative numbers thing works. Oh well, uh, that was too. Oh, okay, doesn't matter. Come, come on, let's go do the negative numbers thing again. Uh, I don't know what how these fractions work. Oh, that's three. Uh, doesn't matter. We're going to do fractions and really get down to what the average is, like where most people are helped by in finding this thing that I possibly arrogantly assume is already common knowledge mm -hmm. right and to bring other people towards that level and find exactly that sweet spot where the information is and f in 2018 i was really trying to uh, like build content you know this idea build it and they will come sure and that worked very well in World of Warcraft because my interests, my personal interests were, were different. Mm -hmm. I just did what I was thought was entertaining. Right. Now as an older guy, I'm leaving a lot of people uh, behind based on that. I think my audience, if I look at my demographics, is like nobody's under 25. Yeah. So I got to find a way to incorporate the masses, which is the under 25s, and do so in a meaningful way and I've already like sat down because one thing, one aspect of entertainment that does it very well, I think, is Pixar, where okay. they somehow have the ability to get children to want to see the movie and mm, then bring their parents along. Exactly. But the parents themselves don't feel bored because there's underlying messaging of like some strings being pulled of adult life that. The, the reference is lost on the child, exactly. but it resonates with with the older folks. Mm -hmm. And if I can incorporate that into my content or have some of the pieces, because it's extremely hard, but just some of the pieces of that caliber um, or just in that general ballpark, I think that would be a successful year for me. Awesome. And, you know, I, I've underneath your finely manicured beard, is your Twitter handle, but I, I know that you have your own kind of uh, podcast out there. You know where can where can the people find you if they want to consume more of your your thoughts and your uh, your yiska isms? Yeah. So 
uh, at Yiskaout on Twitter is probably the most reliable source because I post all my content there. Mm -hmm. uh, tomorrow I, I'll get a video out and then I'll try to get a streak going. I have a little bit of um, vacation left. Okay. Just try to do some there. Looking forward to tactical crouch, which yes, is not yes. going to happen today. <laughs> well, um, stuff happens. Uh, but but ho hopefully it will this week. So mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to that. I think we're getting into a very cool position where a lot of people are already responding quite positively yeah. uh, towards that. And if we can grind it out, that could be very nice. I think we got the sugar there. Definitely. Um, definitely. Good mix of people that can bring all sides of the world. Yeah, definitely. And then just, I think it's uh, Yiska out on YouTube. But yeah, Twitter is just the most reliable source for my go go follow him folks he definitely has some some fantastic thoughts but uh yeah that's dell further today follow everybody i'll link their stuff in the description and uh thanks for thanks for participating i, I you know i appreciate you guys for coming on and you know here's to a uh empty cup but here's here's to 2019 buddy <laughs>